Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast, hosted by Alison Humphreys. The Recruitment Leadership Podcast is here to help those in the recruitment industry gain awareness and understanding on the hot topics faced by those in the business of hiring people. In each episode, Alison Humphreys is joined by a fellow expert to offer professional knowledge, insight and advice on the biggest subjects affecting recruitment businesses. It's the podcast to listen to for recruitment business frontrunners seeking expert information from industry-leading advisors. Welcome to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. Um, I'm Alison Humphreys and I'm delighted to be joined today by my friend Leisha Holmes. Hello Leisha. Hello Alison, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure, thank you for joining us. Now for anyone who doesn't know Leisha, she's an experienced recruiter who focuses on the recruitment sector, a rec to rec, and the business that she founded a full 18 years ago yep. um, is Key Recruitment. So Leisha, just explain Key in case people are misspelling it, mishearing it. Yes, it's often the case, as is the case with my name as well, my, my first name Leisha, people often call me Leisha because it's the why that tricks people. So Key Recruitment was actually born from me wanting to brand the business for the key values and excuse the pun there there's lots of different connotations uh, of what I stood for as a recruiter even all back you know back in 2005 which when I sat down and wrote it down I thought well integrity that runs through me quality and I thought you know you you as a person urgency it's all about you in the search and when I wrote those three letters down I thought key and that anyone who has done latin or any kind of you know, language in the in their past will know that key actually stands for who. So it was lots of different connotations. And so key recruitment was born. And yes, we focus purely on the recruitment to recruitment service across our amazing industry. And it's a very proud and privileged position to be in, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Well, Leisha, um, as my friend, you know, you and I, we just love talking recruitment, don't we? And we've previously guested for each other. So today we're kind of continuing a previous recording that we made. Um, about internal recruitment for recruitment agencies. And um, this time we're going to look at things from a sort of flip side and we're going to focus on retention. Let's just start there, shall we, Alicia? Tell us why experienced recruiters get in touch with you. Okay, so this is the million dollar question, isn't it? As to what everybody, you know, wonders why people are leaving. And it tends to be... I'm being quite generic here and then I will break this down further, but it tends to be two main reasons. One is an obvious thing. It could be a market failing. You know, there are plenty of markets, certainly over the last decade or so, that haven't performed as well, that are in decline, that are saturated, that potentially will get replaced by AI and technology. I'm sure that's something we'll come on to. And that's something that's out of the recruiter's control. So that's where I tend to go, right, is there anything we can do to change that? But the main reason why people contact a rec to rec and myself particularly is down to leadership or lack thereof. And that then covers a multitude of things, which is, you know, really poor remuneration schemes. You know, they're not being rewarded fairly. There isn't parity within the business. There's this sense of, you know, I don't really understand how my commission is worked out. Um, maybe they've put the head above the parapet and thought, gosh, you know, my friend over the road's getting paid X. So it's where they're not feeling valued for what they're doing. I'm sure, again, this is something that we're going to talk about, particularly around retention, which is, 
this re- reversal in the flexible slash remote working opportunity, which obviously the last three and a half years has been monumental in changing our industry and how it's operated. But that certainly seems to be this particular year, 2023, has been one of the main reasons why people don't seem very satisfied that they're not happy that that's being revoked. Mm. And then actually quite a big area, and this is something which I think we should all take more responsibility for, is the lack of belonging, the lack of feeling of belonging. And that will come on to cover things like diversity and inclusion, being a working parent, for example, being a caregiver, and particularly a personal topic close to my heart is sobriety, um, mm. where people feel that they have moved along, you know, the well-being of of ourselves has become really prominent over previous years and I think as an industry we're transforming and a lot of people don't want to be in the drinky drinky cultures anymore so I've tried to group it as a general lack of belonging because people don't necessarily want to conform to this stereotype anymore so it, it's covered possibly a bit too generically by the sense of this lack of leadership or that where the leadership style doesn't match what people's ideals are anymore but that tends to be why people leave. Really interesting I just want to highlight that you haven't said just money, um, despite what is widely believed. Um, but there were, you made a couple of points early on in that answer about commission and highlighted something I know to be true. Years ago, I did a very big research piece into different commission schemes. And one of the things I learned, because I did telephone interviews with lots and lots of um, staff in different agencies, one of the things I learned is that hardly anybody understood their own commission scheme. Mm. And if people don't understand it, it's not going to motivate them to do the things it's intended to do, is it? Um, we're not we're not accountants, we're not mathematicians, we are salespeople. And I, you know, I'm a recruiter at heart. And I remember it being in my first recruitment job, yes, it was 25 years ago. And oh gosh, prime time was an amazing apprenticeship to have. But my God, you needed a calculator to work out to the penny what each fee was worth to you because there were all these different echelons and percentages and then brackets, and it was ridiculous. So you each month you didn't, you had a four-week month, a five-week month, and this threshold and this threshold. And to me, what the best advice I give to all my leaders who come and ask me is you need to ensure it's as simple as possible for mm. your salespeople and resources. You, you know, the people that are being targeted to fill jobs and place jobs in what each fee is worth to them, because you want it to be motivating. It should be stretching. Mm. It should be motivational, aspirational. You know, I, I totally agree with the higher percentages being achieved when you're hitting, you know, much higher billing targets but mm-hmm. I totally agree with you what we often do and, and my business partner Laura has done many surveys on what does a good commission scheme look like and the reality is you will I'm hoping will corroborate there is no one size fits all there are you know it's horses for courses every single company has different needs to have thresholds no thresholds different brackets you know paid after rebate contract recruiters are paid differently but the, the most important rule that should run across fundamentally every commission scheme is it should be simple enough to work out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when it's not simple, people assume that they are being cheated somehow, don't they? Yeah. And you made two other interesting points. One was about transparency. And um, if uh, I've come across this, businesses where commission schemes are all personal, yeah, and therefore... People have a sense that, hang on, he's getting paid for something and I'm not. Mm. Um, And so I'm a huge fan of having a clear written commission policy that, you know, if it's going to be tight, if it's going to be 
different for different people, perhaps a threshold, I don't know, that that's tied to transparent grading systems, you know, yeah, um, not hidden. That's not just on commission, though, Alison. I think that should come down to, you know, if we and we are talking about retention particularly today, but this then does have a direct impact on hiring in great talent going forward and keeping mm -hmm. hold of that talent going forward. It's all about hiring the best people and retaining the best people that are right for your business. And And I think fundamentally, if you have a, um, you know, a pay scale that, you know, isn't fair hasn't got parity isn't looking after your current people you're mm -hmm. going to see that you're going to lose your best people because actually that you know I made that point I hope not too flippantly but but genuinely I don't want anyone that I place to come in and you know usurp the existing people that are there at the same you know the peer group Mm -hmm. I want that pig to feel that they're being respected for the experience that they've got. Because why should it be that, you know, just because I've gone externally, I'm going to get five grand more or 10 grand more than if I'd stayed. So I think, and that's where a good recruiter will consult the leaders to say, look, and that's where last year was just ridiculous that we had these insane salary increases, which could never be sustained. Um, but I, I think that the commission equally to all the other benefits I'm a huge believer that it should all be transparent. Mm -hmm. I don't think it should be, I think you should be able to go to your coffee machine, your water cooler moment, uh, you know, your nights out, your days out and know what the other person's on because actually mm -hmm. that's what they deserve to be on. It shouldn't be, well, what are they on, what they're on. And I say that as somebody that was in an environment like that back in the day and it was horrendous. I was mm -hmm. the top biller by by a lot and they brought in somebody on about 10 grand more than me who had no experience and he mm -hmm. he came and showed me his offer letter and I was like well you know they're pleased for him well done he was a nice guy but I remember thinking what yeah. so you know I think as you know we're the people that have been there and done it so we've we've got the experience we know how it feels it's that empathy so what we do in our role now is to encourage leaders to go you need to make it fair transparent and have parity mm -hmm. across the board yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely agree. Some great points there. Thanks, Leisha. And in particular, your point about belonging is a really interesting one because it's very much a recent phenomenon yeah. um, that people are aware of it. What, what are your thoughts on uh, recruitment business owners using surveys and so forth to to measure staff well-being as a retention tool? What do you think? Really important because otherwise, and, and I, I would encourage it to be, both a, a vocal forum where people can actually see and hear who's saying what, but actually have an anonymous format as well, which I think is where surveys are really important. You know, whether it's to do with neurodiversity, whether it's to do with sexuality, whether it's to do with, you know, abuse in the family, whatever it might be. I think people, the, the, the sense of an industry that never used to talk about psychological safety five years ago, we didn't talk about mental health five years ago. These are all things that are relatively new and it's about time really because what we want is to create an industry of business professionals who know that they can come to work feel safe be the best that they can and and retain those people so I think that even talking about what does a sense of belonging mean you know we, you and I would never have talked about that five ten years ago would we it would have been what, what on earth are you going on it's, it was an HR thing but actually it's within all of our uh, capabilities to have these conversations because as individuals we each have our own sense of belonging don't we mm -hmm. so it's using our experience to say well you know this is my journey as a working parent this is my journey as a Jewish woman this is my journey as a single parent whatever whatever your story is 
it is ensuring that you're creating a business where people can share their experiences and learn from each other. And that is the fundamental way you build a culture of belonging. But I think absolutely have the surveys, but also have encouraged the the sense of openness about it and not hide it away. Yes. Okay. So um, an interesting thing that I, I keep coming up in conversation with my clients is that in some cases they're a bit frightened of doing these surveys because it's going it's just going to like rake things over and stir up complaints that might otherwise have just you know stayed under the surface interestingly i've advised a number of uh, recruitment business uh, owners to um to you know sign up to one of these staff confidential staff assistance programs mm-hmm. um and because those people are trained counselors they are often much better positioned than a you know a first time manager absolutely um, you well know, they're trained in it and and I think you know we recruiters are, are the ever optimists we always create best pictures because that's what we do with salespeople aren't we we tell stories mm-hmm. but actually you know we don't want to necessarily get ourselves emotionally involved we might not have the skills unless we've been trained externally like you say but I just want to make a point on what you just said there about you know how you fit there's a lot of ostrich you know a lot of ostriches out there and if you keep hiding your head in the sand they're going to call me those mm-hmm. are the people that are going to call the rector so what I'm encouraging you to do is to create an, an in your own mindset if you keep pushing it away you're going to keep losing your best people because ultimately there will be business out there that will talk about these things openly and won't have a stigmatism about you know somebody going through the menopause or somebody having mental health problems you know don't hide away from it there's so many resources out there now there are so many ways that you can implement this into your business where it's part of your well-being strategy and isn't just a tick box exercise for god's sake needs Mm. to be meaningful but i think that your clients admitting that to you and i don't get me wrong i've had clients admitting it to me too that's their sense of vulnerability that they're scared because they don't have the capability but that's where you bring in the experts right that's why Mm. for what we do Okay, so some really valuable points there about retaining your staff with transparent pay pay and reward. And yeah, and consider the use of staff assistance programs in leadership. Okay, so Alicia, when you place somebody, you obviously want that placement to stick and be successful in the long term. So I'm curious to know, what do you look for in a client before you go ahead and work with them? I mean, I'm going to try not to use too many marketing euphemisms here. And when I was thinking about, you know, what do I actually look for? What are the fundamental things? I think likability is a big thing. Um, you know, humans connect to humans. And I think you can, you know, have all these shiny, amazing websites and tools and, you know, sexy offices and whatever else. But actually, I think likability between you and your customer is so important. And that's the same for candidates, by the way. So I think that's a really, and we don't talk about likability enough, but surely that's what we attract each other with magnets, magnets to each other. And if I don't necessarily like somebody or they maybe don't like me, I'm not going to be the best conduit for them. And that that's not helpful to anybody. So I think it's a waste of everybody's time. And I think you learn that maybe as you get older anyway, you get wise to it. Um, I think values match. Gosh, you know, I mean, that's it runs through me. That's my lifeblood. That's why I set the business up in the first place. And I think for me, the ethical side of, you know, 
I don't just want words on a wall. I want to actually understand from your customers. So I do a lot of due diligence before um, I even consider taking on a client in terms of their reputation. What are their customers saying about them? What's Mm -hmm. their attrition rate? Um, And I can forgive, as I'm sure most people that have been around the block, you know, we know that this year has been challenging. It's been a real consolidation year for a lot of people, but it's how they've approached it. For me, that was that's a big leveler. It's how you do things, which is what ethics truly means. It's the expectations. I think that any relationship, whether it's, you know, client, which we're talking about in this context, particularly comes down to setting expectations for both parties. And I think it's the respect of those expectations. It's revisiting expectations. And at any point during any initial dialogue with a client, if those expectations, if I can't meet theirs, I actually will tell them that, you know, if you're looking for volume recruiters, that's not what I do. That's, that's right. not, not what I do. But equally, you know, they will have expectations of me. I will have expectations of them, sorry. So if, you know, it's 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 just a two-way process. It's a partnership that you're creating. I also look for for companies that can be really nimble. I'm sure you probably do a similar thing. You want companies that are receptive to your ideas. You know, I'm not here to be a robot. I don't want to be a robot because mm-hmm. I will get replaced by a robot. So I want clients who are innovative and creative and have such a strong sense of fun in what they're doing and passion for it. And, you know, it's all the human elements of why we do this job. And I think... I also look for, and, and, you know, being quite crude, have they got the cash to invest? And I don't just mean in me and my fees. It's they need to have that investment approach right. in the best technology. I know we're going to come on to talk about that. The best marketing, the best people, the best commission schemes. And if I get a sense that they're going to be penny pinching in any way, and I'm not saying, you know, there are lots of companies that have done things on a, you know, a, a, a a shoestring to st- you know particularly startups I love startups I'm not talking about that it's that big picture approach and finally it is you know again without sounding too corny it's a partner you know and for me a partnership is where I'm treated like an equal and I'm not treated like a supplier right oh so important it's yeah, really because- important you being you your investment in client companies and i i totally emphasize what you're saying is is very real it's a very emotional thing isn't it and um if you are dismissed you know no callbacks when you leave a message this kind of thing people just delaying payment on your invoices you really start to lose the 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 will to represent that company don't you you so you, you respect it's respect and I think I don't demand respect you earn respect and I understand that but everything that you've said there I think you know we're adults and you wouldn't go and treat your doctor in that way you wouldn't treat your solicitor in that way you wouldn't treat your accountant in that way so why should I be treated in that way I'm I'm a business professional you're a business professional and I'm here to support you on your journey to achieve your goal and if you want that support, and I, I love that you use the word emotional, because I think it is an emotional thing that we do. And we don't talk about that enough. And I think maybe that's why I have endured in what is regarded as a really, that I think possibly the most challenging industry in recruitment, which is rep to rep. I've done mm-hmm. it for 22 years because I'm emotionally involved. I care about my clients and their journey. And I don't want to just place somebody and get a quick fee. I want to ensure that they flourish and they thrive and they a, a, such a big part of that business that they couldn't survive without them that's surely that's what we're all here to do 
Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. Just to, um, while we're on expectations, just tell us your thoughts on the processes that you see recruitment businesses following for their internal recruitment. What's good? What's bad? Well, bad is where there's this sense of I'm here to interview you. Why do you want to work for my company? What do you know about my company? This kind of really one-dimensional, one-sided, you know, no feedback, not taking my call for prep. I prep my clients every step mm-hmm. of the way. I want to prep them on why the candidate's leaving, et cetera. You know, what their nuances are, what they, why they like the sound of the company. So if the client won't take a prep call before the interview, mm-hmm. misuse of tests, Alison. Cycle, you know, those tests are out there to support the science behind our psychology Mm -hmm. and team fit and motivations. They're incredible. But the amount of times, and I'm not saying abuse of misuse, but misunderstanding of what they're there for, it Mm -hmm. really puts candidates off. And that's at all levels. And then the worst one, the biggest it of them all is the last minute kind of shifting well we we know that they're doing this but actually we've decided to do this instead and they leave it to the last stage to announce a big change in what the the requirements of the job are and haven't oh i see like putting them on a different market than they were going to yeah just changing last minute shift we're going to just change the goalpost and the candidate goes whoa 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 you've not been talking about that the whole way through the process so and I think it's not actually having a process you would be surprised and i'm you know i adore recruitment this is my lifeblood but you would be surprised how awful some recruitment businesses are for hiring for themselves that they don't define what their process actually is. They wing mm-hmm. it. They wing it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, back in the day, you know, I would expect a rigorous process. But back in the day, the last time I applied for a job, I think I had eight interviews, all with different people. But the content of every interview was more or less the same. Oh, it's like, that, are you not communicating? that's the other bad one where there's no where it's duplicitous where you're not getting any value back so that's what I'm talking about this one-sided approach that's all the bad that's what we do really badly and you know really bad there's feedback and things like you know taking taking illicit references without permission just really unsolicited approach like that but however this is what a good process to me looks like, where the expectations are set from the start. This is what okay. the process will look like. This is what we are expecting during this interview. This is what we will do for you, etc. So it's a fair, even playing field. I like interviews that feel like they're not interviews, where they are, I'm not talking about over-familiarity, where I'm just making, you're making another human being feel comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. share your story, talk about your journey through the business. If it's your business, why you set it up you know, talk about why people join your business. I think that no tricks, you know, we're not going to throw in a few little tricks here just to catch you out. That's just, it, it's a massive turn off for experience, certainly for experience. Could you, sorry, do, could you just give us an example of a trick if you can bring one to mind? Um, let me think, role plays without pre-prep, pre-warning them, you know, give us an, give us an you know, competency-based interviews without preparing them for that. So it's not necessarily stand up and tell a joke, although there have been a few firms that have been notorious for that over the years. But where it's the the trick is we're just going to try and catch you out here. Yes. Um, And I think that those companies that have that format, you're just setting people up for a fall because, you know, we we want people that are genuine in an interview. Don't 
what you don't want is a candidate that's just prepped for an interview. You want them to be the best that they can be. Obviously, we need to run processes that are without prejudice. We need to ensure that they are compliant with, you know, true diversity and non-discrimination. Mm-hmm. I love processes which include meeting peers, meeting colleagues, meeting future team members, mm-hmm. where it's done again with when I say without tricks, it's where it's not contrived, where it genuinely is you know, let them go and have a conversation separately to the decision maker. You know, those are the best ways to, because I just see the huge benefit to those incumbent people, the talking about retention, they're going to feel really valued. You know, you're involving them in the interview process. I mean, again, we do hear of people that, you know, senior leaders that are not told about someone they've just hired, you know, involve people. Um, it need uh, we'd need to talk about timely, you know, a timely interview process. So you talk true. about eight interviews. I mean, very often it can be the candidate that has poor availability. And in that case, as far as I'm concerned, it is the candidate who needs to manage their time better. Mm-hmm. Um, but time kills deals. That is a fact. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, loads of really good points there on on hiring and getting your process right. And um it, very important um, the one you make the point you make about we want to see people at their best and when they're relaxed yep. so create that environment rather than the I'm putting you under pressure yeah. uh, environment when you will just see people people will say what they think you want to hear oh, you- I know and I've always you know jokingly said you know and I, and I do prepare candidates for every interview and every single candidate will that's ever gone through my process will agree with that but I don't tell them what to say I don't tell them what questions to ask because then they'll just sound like me and yes. I think any, any recruiter listening or watching this should take that on board this isn't about preparing anybody with a script you want a really authentic conversation but I think that also comes down to how you prepare your client and we can often be the worst ones because recruiters like to sell and we like to be sold to but if you're creating that in that interview culture you're never actually going to get to know you know I actually want to know the warts and all but if I go you know when I if I ever had to go for an interview I'd want to know the worst bits of working somewhere I'd want to know what's it like on a really crap day here what's it like when I'm not hitting my target am I going to be out the door I want but equally, when I'm hiring somebody for me, I want to know, you know, what are you like on a bad day? What happens when things aren't going well? How do you cope with that? And you know, you're only going to get to see the real person if you create an atmosphere of, like you say, relaxed, non-judgy. You know, I know that we do judge, but where you can be safe to say what you want to say. Have you had a crap year? What have your billings been? Don't say you've done 200 grand when actually you've done 60K. But why is that? So it, it's being open and some of the best hirers for me are the ones that create those environments where my candidates come out and go, that didn't even feel like an interview. Good. It felt like a business conversation. Good. That's what we want. Okay. And, you know, for anyone who's thinking, hang on, I thought this was about retention. That is everything you've said is bang on about retention. If you've done your selection right, you will attract the sort of people that will succeed with you, won't you? What, what, seriously, how many times have you taken somebody on, they've performed amazingly in an interview, and then they sit down first week, second week, third week, you're like, this is not the person we just interviewed. And that's down to your interview process. Yes, yes, exactly. So it is down to that. And I think, you know, I'm glad we've covered this point because I think that the way we recruit for ourselves has a massive impact on who we were saying because mm-hmm. you want to hire the best people. You want to keep creating this continuous high-performing culture. The only way you're going to ever achieve that is by continuously interviewing high-performing people. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay, so here's a question. Is mm-hmm. there a right 
retention level in the recruitment industry in your view well it depends on what level we're talking about right because if we're talking about entry level it's going to be far higher it will far, far higher attrition than if we're talking about the senior leadership level so i would i would like to think if i was doing this through rose tinted spectacles that for people who've got you know three years plus experience we should be looking at a really high retention rate if we're doing all the other things properly and we're not cutting corners. And I know we haven't even talked about reference checking yet, which I'd like to, I would actually like to cover off because it's a really contentious subject. But I think, is there a right one? I think you've got to really look at the granular of your business and look at if you're hiring people for the sake of it, because I think particularly let's contextualize it in relation to last year where everybody was in a hiring frenzy. And this Mm. year's the total opposite where actually it's been a level playing field again, and you're only going to re- hopefully hire the right people and retain the right people. So I think I don't want it to be come down to a percentage. I think it needs to be, you know what works for your business. It has to come down to who's got the right return on investment. And we know that bringing in the junior element, which I personally don't do, I, I tend to do the experience market, but the junior market is the lifeblood. That's our future that, you know, we need to invest. I don't necessarily subscribe to the whole, you know, let's just bring in 10 and two will work out. That's why I love companies that have the training academies that have that total, you know, learning culture, because we're all continuously learning. And I think, you know, I've not necessarily answered the question in terms of a specific answer, but I think it depends on which level we're talking about. But I think across the board, that's where it does come back down to what defining what your process is for hiring people. And I think if you haven't got that set out, you're never going to get your retention levels right. Right. So I'm uh, the reason I'm asking the question is because I, I totally agree with your point about experienced people. We should have a very low attrition rate. But I don't think the answer is the right retention level, uh, right retention level is 100%. No. I actually don't think that. I think um, mm. that the most successful businesses, and I'm not just talking about financially, but culturally and so forth, um, often have about a 10% um, staff attrition rate. Mm. Um, like you say, there's nothing magic in the number, but it is because they are a stretching and growing environment, or one that's you know responds to change, but they part on good terms with those that's people brilliant. that leave. Yeah. Okay. The, the, class, the classiest firms out there are those that have good leavers. We want good leavers and people are going to leave. Why do people leave companies in a good way? It might be to go and set up on their own. Amazing. How fabulous. Mm. You've created entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs. Um, it might be that they're, you know, relocating. It could be they're having a family. What are, there are so many reasons that are good reasons why people leave. But I think it's about how classy you are as a business leader. You know, mm-hmm. don't, don't stop being toxic when people leave yeah so true um so what other steps uh that we haven't touched on yet leisha would you advise recruitment leaders to take to retain staff oh and and also is there a difference between business support staff and the earning staff yeah um i mean i think that all all staff should be treated in the same way with respect because these our businesses couldn't run without our business support. I mean, I've got an amazing virtual assistant. I say virtual, she's a real person. She just doesn't, not physically here. Um, and so I think that that comes down to respect for people who all contribute. We all have a return on investment for what we do in the business. But ultimately, Bill is 
generate income, whereas the business support people allow us to be able to do that. So I think that in, in terms of other steps, I think it's important to think about the intellectual property of your billers. Um, that can be quite detrimental. You know, if you're creating a culture of 360, which we haven't come on to either, um, you know, there's, again, very contentious subject. Should we have a 360 culture? Should we have 180, 270, all these different numbers? Um, mm. But if you have a genuine 360 culture, you are potentially creating future little businesses that could then impact if they leave they leave with all their intellectual property yes we have restrictive covenants to protect us of course we do but after six months genuine 360 billers will just pick it up and, and set off again so i think billers leaders need to think about and i know that this is definitely the culture out there now which is so exciting which is why we've seen so many incubation companies born in the last few years is creating that entrepreneur network so you know if you and i'm working for you and you know that i'm dying to maybe go and do something for myself you'd go Leisha let's talk about keeping you within the group let's talk about growing out your own brand you can have a percentage in the business you know leaders need to start thinking about that it's a, a way to you know invest your cash wisely you're keeping the intellectual property within your business and you're never going to lose that person I think entrepreneurs isn't we don't talk about that word enough and again I know it's a marketing nuance but it's true sometimes people come to me and they, they maybe they should be setting up on their own but they haven't got the capital they're a bit scared. So maybe they've got a young family, lots of different reasons. And I'll, the first thing I'll say is go and speak to your business owner and see if they'll invest in you. You're not leaving then, but you're just feeling frustrated or you want the remote or the flexible. So mm-hmm. leave, be open to it because that's the best way to protect your best investment, which is your, your 360 billers. Um, think about your restrictive covenants. I'm not a legal expert, but you know they should be robust. They should be fair. Um, I mean, it's probably one of the most talked about things when people are getting to off the stage, you know, where where is your restrictive covenant at? Protect your business. You'd be surprised how many people don't have them in their contracts. Gosh, really? Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, I, I also want to just cover on what we just talked about there about levers. Hmm. People will, ne- will leave your business. Look, that's, the, that's a fact of life. Think about the impact of those people leaving on your existing team and how you then communicate that, the language that you use. Because I think very often that can often be a, like a almost a cascade effect if you don't react in a in a I'd say a professional way, but actually in a fair way. Um, obviously, each individual person it, it's within their own. You know, it could be that they left and it was the best thing that ever happened because we didn't. You know, sometimes people leave that are really toxic. We don't. They might be the best biller. But actually, mm. they were a bloody nightmare to work with, and we didn't want them in the business anyway. Mm. And that can then create a knock-on effect. And if you didn't do much about it as a business leader, people will look at you and go, they were an absolute nightmare. They used to swan around the office, not caring about anyone else. So I think it's about, as a leader, being consistent mm-hmm. with how you treat people, individualizing how you treat people, but being consistent with it. So I think, you know, thinking about how you react to things, thinking about how you communicate things, you know, share vulnerability, share where you're going with things. The business support people are the most important, you know, pillar within any business. Mm-hmm. And I think very often, I mean, I don't interview business support people per se, but I think they should be incentivized because I think they should, they're an intrinsic part of the business. I have very often seen and placed ex-business support people who've moved into resourcing, moved into research. They make amazing recruiters if they mm-hmm. want to be. So you can create your own little you know, delivery team, resourcing team from business support. So I think don't undervalue what those people can bring to your business too. 
Mm, okay, so some really important points on retention there. And I think you had a point you wanted to make about referencing. I'm going to ask you a question back. What are your thoughts on references? So I think that they are invaluable. And when I look at all the people who I know have moved and I should have been contacted for a reference, yeah, I'm really disappointed um, that recruiters don't do this absolutely routinely. Um, I've, I count myself capable of making a judgment about the person who's giving it yeah. um, as well as what they're saying. So, you know, if if the person who's applied to me is saying, look, we fell out because of a disagreement over X, whatever, then I will take that into account. And I might even end up taking more than one reference, so forth. Yep. So I think they're really invaluable. What are your thoughts? So, oh, yeah, I agree with everything you said there. I mean, references are subjective, like anything. If mm-hmm. you were to go and speak to somebody that worked with me 10 years ago, they'd probably say something very different to how who I am now. So I think it's always it, having setting the context, setting the scenario, um, I think you should always take more than one reference. That's my view for that reason. I like 360 references. And this is always, po- for me, it must always be post-verbal offer because I think anything before just seems really underhand, particularly because my my service is 100% discreet. It's all about mm. people that aren't active on the market. They're exclusive mm. to me. I like the 360 approach where it's customers as well. It's their clients, it's their candidates, because actually like you say it's subjective you know maybe you work with them and you didn't really get on and maybe there was a bit of a you know maybe that boss is a bit of a dick you know maybe that's the case it does happen so actually let me go and speak to your top client that you said that you're going to bring with and actually is that client happy to speak to me saying that you're going to come and work here in my business and very often that's much more telling than Mm -hmm. an ex-colleague I think they have definitely got a place I don't understand the firms that go we just give dates I mean come on you're a recruitment company you know why we're doing it's usually the corporates I'm sorry to say it is usually the corporates it's I don't want a written reference I don't want a form I want to just pick up the phone and say look you know the job I'm doing would you would you be in my position would you go and place them what and this is the biggest question I always ask if you were in my shoes what job would you put them in what's the best job for them what's the best environment for them Oh, I love that. And then I know whether I've got it right. And then yeah. I know whether I've got it right. And that way then it's very objective because it's not about the job they're going to. It's about saying as me, that's why it's so valuable for the recruiter to do that for that candidate, whether, you know, obviously your audience isn't all rec to rec, it's recruiters doing the job. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really powerful way to connect to either existing or future clients because it shows that you are diligent I'm with you. I don't understand people that don't take references. I just don't get it. Yeah. And um, and a proper and verbal reference, verbal. not, as you say, an HR tick box it's exercise. It's anything. I mean, to, to be fair, what I've just said there about the clients and the candidates, you can go and read their endorsements on LinkedIn. And, and, and I get that. And I agree with that. You can't lie about them. You can't make them up. You can't buy them. I do agree with all that. But actually, I just want a sanity check. That's why we're doing it, right? Sanity check. What would they like to work for? And you say, you know, you're contextualizing it. It could be that I did. Maybe we didn't get on. Maybe there was something where there's been a, an issue, a legal issue or whatever, a performance related. But then you'll know the candidate is telling the truth. So I think yeah, yeah. I think that there is a place for them without a shadow of a doubt. But it's got to be done at the right time, not underhand, not behind, you know, anybody's back. I uh-huh. think, you know, we can do more. Because surely the whole purpose of your podcast, why you do what I do, why I do what I do, is to create a better 
industry, better regarded industry, better practices. And if we're not taking references on each other about each other, then we're totally undermining what we're here to do. (laughs) Quite, quite. And, you know, unfortunately, I think we all know people who have basically got bad form, who then bounce around lots of different recruiters, uh, all discovered, you know, just playing out the same behaviour again and again, because nobody took a reference which and is they're making a assumption on, you know you've worked for harvey nick so you must be good to work at selfridges and you must be good to work at i don't know you know harrods don't make any assumptions based on brand name it doesn't mean anything it doesn't mean they're actually good at what they do and you do get you know career recruiters who bounce around every one to two years because they get found out yeah yes absolutely um and you know again we're talking here about retention so if you are going to keep someone and it's going to be successful, mutually beneficial, um, then let's make it thorough for heaven's sake. Okay. Now there's two more subjects before we run out of time that I really want to uh, get your thoughts on in the context of retaining our own recruiters. One is learning and development and the other is tech. Yes. Um, And my observation is that both those things are actually really important, particularly among the, uh, experienced group Definitely. Uh, where interestingly quite yeah. a lot of recruitment businesses don't spend yeah. any time on L&D no. because oh they've made placement they must know how to do it yeah I mean I think it's the most important point I want to make here is that each individual will have their own sort of view on what learning and development actually means what does it is two different things learning is what we continuously do and then development is what should be you know a mutually beneficial thing to in order for me to become a high performer and be the best that I can be so I think it's listening and creating again it's creating that culture of you know I actually would really quite like to go and do this I'd quite like to do this external course I'd quite like to, I want to get involved in this Mm-hmm. Um, as well as your PPIs and all all those, you know, the the day to day running the desk, but it's in addition to, um, and it's so important, Alison. You know, delivering on what you promise, delivering on that de- learning and development, and you know, committing committing to that development time as importantly as you would an external client meeting the amount of times again I mean I should have probably covered this off in that first answer but I was aware that I probably gave about 20 answers about why people leave but you know the amount of times where it's like you know I was meant to have a one-to-one and it kept getting pushed kept getting pushed I've never had a one-to-one I've never had a quarterly update and it's like that time with your team is so valuable and so Mm. important and it says so much about how you feel about them I think some of the best environments and I'm sure you'll agree with this that they actually create a holistic approach with internal L&D and bringing in external experts as well because it it's you know we only know what we know so we need to bring in external people so it's some of the best environments do both and it does it does cost money to do that but it's an investment that I just don't understand why you wouldn't do that to me L&D is one of the key pillars as well as technology and marketing and HR actually we don't really talk about HR much in, in recruitment I think we assume that we all know it but I think that L&D is, if you haven't got an L&D culture, you cannot ever expect to retain the best talent, what, right. whatever the market looks like. And now we've had a really challenging year in recruitment. Let's be honest. You and I have been here a long time. This has been as challenging to me as it was back in 2009. It, you know, post-recession, that was a really challenging year. This year to me has been as challenging for a lot of recruiters for the first time. And I think the businesses that are not, double downing on now on on learning and development will not keep those that have maybe had to stick it out and you want to create champions in your business so 
I love to see that sort of mentoring, you know, the buddy scheme where you might have somebody that's fantastic at selling retainers. You might have somebody that's brilliant at headhunting. Create this continuous learning culture where they're happy to share that. So, you know, that's how you then create succession planning as well. But I think firms can do so much more for their existing people. And again, it's about then those people will then create that learning culture for any academy or junior people that you bring through. But don't, Mm -hmm. I think just, you know, I've been doing this a very long time. I still invest in my learning and development Mm -hmm. every year. In fact, I'm so excited. I'm doing doing Damien Hughes's thing in November. I'm so excited from the High (laughs) Performance podcast. So, you know, I still invest in me every single year and I've been doing it 25 years because you know what? You're always learning. There's always something to learn. (laughs) And and I have to say that because we are in a really volatile environment, I mean, we're recording this in the last quarter of 2023 and there is just, you know, things coming at us from left field. And if it's a volatile environment, it means that we always have to look about, okay, how do I need to change, adapt? And that is what learning is for, isn't it? That is what, and that's why it's different things. Learning is a different thing to development. Development is that that process of what am I doing? Where where have I come from? Where am I going to? Without that core principle in your culture, people are going to always feel like they're just not moving forward or you're changing the goalposts. That's a different thing to learning because we're always learning. You know, humans don't stand still. The world is continuously changing and it is tumultuous out there and I don't think it's going to get any easier this is this is the industry this is the job right but I think that you know for those companies that maybe just think that oh well we've got a great team they're all they all know what they're doing we don't need that it's like I think you're actually really naive Mm. yeah good point well made thank you right very last question tech and marketing yes what do what do people need to retain their staff right i mean you could literally spend a fortune subscribing to everything buying every tech out there every marketing digital product out there it is a minefield and i'm a huge believer that we do need to you know at the base of what we do technology is there now to take away the parts of the job that we don't need to do. And it's fantastic. And, you know, you can't imagine sitting there, you know, what we did 25 years ago with pen and paper. However, it can also be a distraction. So I think I'm not going to sit here and start promoting certain brands. I think, you know, there is a product out there for every part of the process. But the caveat I have is that at the base of it, it's to allow you to then influence the human side of what we do in recruitment. It's not to replace the feedback I get from you know, a lot of people that come to me who come to me exclusively is because they are bombarded with the bot messages on InMail. They are bombarded with e-shots. So I think it's it's bearing that in mind. What do you, when you're listening and watching this now, what do you buy from? What do you respond to? So I think it's using technology to streamline your process. We don't need to be laborious in anything that we do anymore. It's there for, you know, all the intellectual property. It's there to make our lives easier. Um, you know, AI is a phen- it's phenomenal what it can allow us to do the platforms, you know, to record things, to, you know, dissect what would take us days and days with data. We can now get in seconds. It's phenomenal. But I think each leader has to decide what's the reason I'm doing it? What's the why? Why I'm investing in this product or this platform? Definitely do some shopping around. I think it's definitely a buyer's market. That Let's face it, there's so much choice out there. 
and make sure everything's integrated but don't hide behind the technology i think that if you are to you know i've done so many podcast episodes on my my show for the recruiters recruitment podcast on the threat of ai and it's like you know fundamentally if you don't want to be replaced you need to ensure that you're still having that human interaction with your candidates with your clients um and the technology just allows us to have the time to do that okay do you know what i feel like we could talk for the whole of the rest of today on this we've proven that when we've met up (laughs) (laughs) listeners i know that you will be able to hear leisha's passion for the industry um and um you can connect with her on linkedin or uh leisha just give them your email address leisha so it's Leisha, which is L-Y-S-H-A at keyrecruitment.co.uk. And I'm happy to connect to anybody on LinkedIn. Um, all my social handles are at Leisha Holmes. Um, I am on Instagram. I'm sort of on TikTok, but not really, because I just I can't really get my head around it. Um, but my main main place that I spend most of my time is on LinkedIn, obviously. And I love connecting to recruiters and just talking about things passionately, because ultimately we're all here to improve people's lives, aren't we? That's what we do. Absolutely. And that's a perfect note to end on. Leisha, you've been a brilliant guest. Thank you so much for taking the time to record this. Um, I'm Alison Humphreys. This has been the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. And if you're interested in reading further about some of the topics we've discussed today, do pick up a copy of my book on Amazon, Seven Behaviours of Successful Recruitment Leaders. Leisha, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Recruitment Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, review and share so that others can find the podcast too. We really appreciate your support. If you have any questions about the topics covered or wish to find out more about recruitment leadership, please email alison at recruitmentleadership.co.uk referencing the podcast. We're also on LinkedIn where you can follow Recruitment Leadership and connect with Alison Humphreys. Thank you for listening and we hope you join us next time for another episode of the Recruitment Leadership Podcast.